This is Good Faith Effort with Ari Lam. And here's your host, Rabbi Dr. Ari Lam. Hello, hello, and welcome to Good Faith Effort, the world's most dangerous Bible podcast, the podcast where we show you how the values and ideas of the Bible can illuminate the most important conversations in society, from politics to pop culture and beyond. And today, Good Faith Fam, so basically what happened not five minutes ago was my grade school self showed up in a time machine and high-fived me into oblivion over today's guest. He's two-time Emmy-nominated actor and comedian, Start on basically every single show I cared about as a kid. All that, Keenan and Kel. He's also the star of Good Burger, my favorite movie from back in the day, now my kid's favorite movie. And as if that weren't enough, he's also extremely awesomely the youth pastor at Spirit Food Christian Center in Winnetka, California. He's the amazing Kel Mitchell. And we're going to talk pop culture, being purpose-driven, so much more. But first, let me quickly set this up. Okay. So we've been talking a lot about the book of Numbers, which despite its awful name branding, just hands down has just some of the best stories, not just in the Bible, but like in world literature. But anyway, I actually want to pan out from some of the specific narratives and look at the book as a whole. And one thing you realize when you do that is that the book of Numbers and the book of Exodus, a bit earlier in the Bible, are basically mirror images of each other. I mean, bird's eye view, Exodus is about the Israelites' journey to Mount Sinai from Egypt, while Numbers is about the Israelites' journey from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land. But you get more specific than that, and you can see that the challenges faced in each book are the same. Exodus 15, the Israelites complain about their leadership. In Numbers 11, the Israelites complain about their leadership. Exodus 16, they complain about having no food. In Numbers 11, they complain about having no food. Exodus 17, they complain about having no water. Same thing in Numbers 20. Exodus 32, the Israelites rebel against Moses. Same thing in Numbers 14. I could go on and on and on, but the point is that at first glance, Numbers is just a replay of Exodus, which only makes the major difference between the two books even clearer and stranger. And that's how Moses reacts to all of this. So in Exodus, he's calm, cool, and collected. But in Numbers, he gets angry, sometimes even loses his cool to the point where eventually God doesn't even let him into the promised land. And this just raises the question, why? Why does Moses react differently to seemingly identical circumstances? Now, my teacher, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory, offered the best answer to this question I've ever heard. He, and he pointed to the difference between technical challenges and adaptive challenges. So when you have a technical challenge, the way to solve it is by applying what you already know to remove the problem. But when you have an adaptive challenge, you need to learn something new. You yourself need to transform in order to confront it. In other words, you solve a technical challenge by changing the circumstances. But to solve an adaptive challenge, you need to change yourself. Now, the Israelites in Exodus face technical challenges because from the moment they escaped Egypt through the entire rest of the book, God takes care of everything for them. So any problem they had, you just count on God to fix it himself. These were technical problems. So there wasn't much at stake in the grand scheme of things. But by the time we get to the book of Numbers, God tells the Israelites, okay, now it's time for you to leave the desert and travel to the promised land. And you're going to have to build your own society there. You need to start taking responsibility for yourselves. I'll give you strength, but it's up to you to use it. They need to change not just their circumstances, but themselves. And that's a much harder thing to do. And in the end, they actually fail. That generation dies out in the desert. But hope's not lost because while that generation didn't make it, their children do. Their children, the Joshua generation, to borrow a phrase from Barack Obama, they actually do make it into the promised land. They do transform themselves. And that's what I want to talk about today. The difference between achieving 
technical success and adaptive success. And our guest is someone who's really conquered both, so I'm super excited to welcome aboard the two-time Emmy-nominated, all-time legendary actor and comedian, and I will not hear different, the amazing Kel Mitchell. Kel, thank you so much for being here. Oh, man. Uh, thank you for having me. So excited to be here. Oh, this is going to be amazing. Okay, so, Kel, first of all, I think the best bonding experience I've had with my kids ever was how we both, like, equally freaked out that I'd be talking to you. So <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah, and I really want to nerd out with you about, like, 90s TV and pop culture and all that because I actually think there's a lot of depth there underneath all the slime and the goo and all that. <laughs> but first I want to talk about... <laughs> but first I want to talk about your journey. Because I feel like most people don't know about it, right? So, like, last week on the pod, we had on Drew Johnson, and he's this guy who goes from, like, deadbeat punk rocker in middle America to, like, running counter-narcotics missions with the military in Colombia to being one of the most interesting and important biblical scholars in the U.S. And I love those stories, stories of transformation. And you're, like, the best story of transformation. So how did you go from Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon star, icon on TV, to changing lives through being a pastor? Yeah, man. Uh, okay, so basically, of course, being on television, doing all those things, uh, started getting a little older as far as like you're adulting within the the limelight, basically. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you deal with a lot as a uh, teenager growing up within the industry where you don't know if uh, someone is around you because of your character or uh, because of who you are. And so you have to like kind of navigate that and finding a good sense of self. Uh, you also have to not get caught up in the character and just understanding yourself and who you really are. Uh, and then also too, you have personal things that uh, from your past that happen in your life or any type of emotions or stress or anxiety or anything that you might be dealing with. Uh, you also have to kind of put that in a briefcase while you're, you know, entertaining. <laughs> you know what I mean? While you're entertaining uh, on stage, right? So as you're entertaining on, and making everyone laugh and doing all these uh, amazing things, right? And so while you're doing that, you still should uh, find a good sense of self and deal with your emotions and those things that you're dealing with. So what, that, what happens within that is that uh, when you have Christ, he gets in there and helps clean all that up. You know what I mean? And he helps with the anxiety, the stress and the, uh, you know, the things that you might be feeling that you are just packing in, putting a Band-Aid over so that way you can, you know, do what you're supposed to do as your job. And it like transforms into your job from like your life instead of it like being everything that you are. Now it's your job and you can compartmentalize it. Yeah, well, it's your, it's your, uh, your job is like it's a job. But then who you are, because here's the thing, you all see the character, you don't see the person. So that's the thing. And the person is dealing with a whole bunch of things or they might be going through something or going through things, but they have to turn that off to put on, you know, the show that they're dealing with. That's why you see so many, you know, actors or entertainers uh, going through mental health issues or when they play a character and they really get into the character, they need some time to get it, that character off of them, depending on what that character was going through. And so uh, I say that to say uh, with me, what happened was is that some people, they deal with it differently. You know, uh, it can be, oh, well, substance abuse or it can be anything that you might be dealing with to take you away from the stress over anything that you might be feeling or going through in life. Right. So. There was a point in my life where I just, I hit a head. Like, this is when, like, I want to say, like, my, my 20s, like, early 20s. 
where I got to a point where I was dealing with a lot of frustration and depression and things of that nature. And when I was dealing with those things, uh, there was a point in my life where I just wanted to take myself out of here, you know, and that's not uh, what God wanted. And that's not ultimately what needed to happen. But the enemy wanted to make me think that was the way to fix everything. You know what I mean? This is the way you're going to do it. You're going to fix it. And I remember being uh, at the top of uh, this hotel in Canada while I was shooting uh, Like Mike 2. Right. And I was shooting Like Mike 2. And I- Oh, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> great movie. Great movie. You're pushing all the buttons. <laughs> yeah, man. So I'm up there and I'm literally like about to jump, man. I'm just like at the top of this hotel and I'm about to jump because I had been through depression, frustration that I wasn't expressing to people. I wasn't talking about it. I wasn't telling others. I kept it inside. And so when you keep all this frustration and the things that you're going through inside, because you got to remember there wasn't any... Um, Instagram, social media, all these different things. And so uh, as an entertainer, you, I would keep this inside. Like, oh, no one can know about what's going on. Nobody can know that I'm feeling this way. And so I wasn't talking to anybody about it. Um, and so at this point where I was dealing with this, I remember hearing God uh, tell me, he said, hey, you need to lock yourself in this, this, bed, this bathroom suite. Go lock yourself in there and don't come out and just do that. Right. And so uh, I backed up off the balcony. And so I went to the uh, bathroom and I literally just stayed there entire night. Then I got up. And uh, when I got up, I was just like, oh, yo, there, ne- there needs to be a change. There needs to be a real change. So a lot of the habits that I were doing, the people that I was around, uh, the toxic relationships that I was in, all those things had to change. And so I, I asked God, that anything that is not of you, anything that is not of you, I want it gone right now in the name of Jesus. And I said that, and you got it. When you say that, <laughs> it's a real thing. So what started to happen was this huge storm, like uh, a huge storm of a lot of things uh, coming to light that I didn't know about certain people that were in my life. Uh, a lot of things that uh, he showed me that you need to change uh, habit wise that was going on too. And all these things. And, and it wasn't like it happened overnight. This was now, this was a, a, a grooming process. <laughs> you know what I mean? This was me taking the time to really change into the person that I am today. And so th- it took some time. And so as this happened, I remember I came back to California. But before that, while I was in Canada, uh, I went to this church that was uh, right around the corner. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I just, I just, I just walked around the corner, went there, and uh, it was a lot of other celebs that were there shooting films. Uh, this was a major hotel that they, uh, a lot of celebs go to when they're shooting in Canada. But anyway, I walked over and I would go to this church and and see. Here's the thing: I grew up in church. Uh, there, my grandfather's pastor. Uh, I sung in wow. the choir. I sung in the choir, and uh, I went through a lot within my journey. Like even in, uh, you know, growing up in Chicago before I got on television, uh, you know, I've, I've seen gang violence. I've seen, you know, uh, one of my best friends were murdered, and all these different things that. So you can understand, like as I'm on the show, these things are still going on, and you know what I mean. And so it was just like the thought process of that. And so now, smash cut. Then I go to California, and I go to Florida, and I'm working. And then there's a different type of, you know, things that you see of 
deception or hurt and all these things and you're adulting and trying to figure all this and juggling all this. It's like less obviously bad, but it's bad. Yeah, so you're like juggling all this and everyone goes through, it's not even just the entertainment business, everyone goes through that um, as far as like the stress and this anxiety and these things and uh, but being in front of a microscope while doing that as well adds another extra bit of stress, right? And so anyway, back to Canada, uh, those songs and those hymns and those all that stuff came back to me in such a major way and it wasn't a thing where i was just perfect at that point um you know i just some things that i just started to not do anymore i had a uh i got a divorce i also now was living a single life and so then i'm doing that jumping in and out of different relationships because <laughs> now i'm single again and uh now i'm jumping in different relationships all these different things and i was seeing like well nope that's not the that's not the love that I'm looking for. You know what I mean? I was just looking for this 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 love. I was looking for something. And I, uh, this evangelist, right, that I met, uh, this is a few years after Canada, I met this evangelist and she said, look, Kel, I'm gonna pray with you every night, <laughs> right? I'm gonna literally pray with you every night. And yeah, and she said, I want you to be committed to it. And she said, do what you normally do. But I want to, you, you're going to come and pray. So what happened was within this repetition of praying over and over again, I, bro, I was coming from the club and coming from wherever I was, you know what I mean? And just like looking to find what, like, what's going on with me? Like, what, what is happening, you know? And so uh, I was praying with this evangelist every time and stuff was coming off of me. You know, let's just, you know, get deep. You know what I mean? Like literally uh, coming off of me. And uh, but then what happens is, you know, the enemy doesn't want that to happen. So what happens is that all these other troubles and problems started coming up and I started to not be as consistent. And then that's when I met the evangelist that I was talking about earlier. I actually want to jump in right there because that's my that's my question. So obviously, you know, I come from a you know very different tradition super like Orthodox Jewish rabbi. I'm like the kind of like fanatic you read about in books and you see on TV, right? But one thing that I, that, that really resonates with me is you look at like the book of Exodus, for example, and you see there are these two moments, right? There's the Mount Sinai moment, thunder, lightning, revelation. I mean, you look around, how could you, like, how could you not be inspired by that? But then there's every single day after that, right? And there's, okay, now that the thunder and lightning is over and the fire is gone and the loud noises have ceased, what now? And that's when, that's, it, it's exactly at that moment that the book of Exodus is like, okay, build a temple. Do something where you have to do the same thing every day. Bring the sacrifices, do the rituals, like something consistent, right? So how do you go from a moment of inspiration, but that could be ephemeral, to actually building consistency every day? It's like I tell people all the time, like, you feel good when you go to church and you're worshiping and you're like, yeah, and you're in the presence of the, of the Lord, right? But then when you walk out, all that stuff happens. That person calls you that you're not cool with. Someone tells you something mean in traffic or all this different stuff. And then you're right back to that responding in anger to other people or that stress, right? But you got to remember to keep that joy no matter what, right? So I was dealing with that, you know what I mean? I was dealing with that. I was looking at my peers. I was looking at, uh, I was living from check to check and all these different things started happening. And then I met this evangelist. Uh, I had wrote this, um, I had wrote a movie 
And I remember at the time I needed this movie to happen because I was just like, I need this. I need this check. I need this movie to happen. And I remember I didn't even have a car at the time and I was meeting people. No one knew this. And I was just like meeting people not too far from where I, I stayed. And I was just, they were like, yo, Kill, you waiting on the valet? Yeah, yeah, I'm waiting on the valet. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Don't even worry about it. And so, uh, and then I remember uh, the, the movie that actually came out and, and, and did amazing, right? Uh, which was awesome. And I was meeting with this evangelist during the time of the shooting of it and she said I'm just going to pray with you every night like I told you and it was this consistency of it and in doing this I started to have this desire of Christ where it was just like yo I'm not into this like drinking and clubbing and just everything just didn't feel right anymore you know what i mean and i just and i remember in my apartment my dad said because he came to visit me one time he said that uh he, we call this place the the cave right because <laughs> it was like a rebirth type of thing where i literally started putting bible verses everywhere in the room right and everywhere i was gonna be it was in the living room by the door all this stuff and i was praying every morning speaking in tongues every morning, uh, getting breakthroughs, uh, really studying the word of God. And it was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing. And then I became celibate. And I said, I'm gonna be celibate. I'm gonna stay in the word of God. I'm gonna be consistent with all these different things. And as I did that, that was, this was a real rebirth. This was like a real like restart and renewing of my mind. And bro, when I was doing this, I started to see prayer really work in a real way. Like certain things that I was like hoping for and praying for was really working. I remember God told me, hey, Kel, I know you're going through some things, but I want you to go speak at a juvenile detention. And I want you to also go speak to youth at high schools. And I want you to tell your story and I want you to go talk to them. I'm like, well, dude, I need someone to talk to me. <laughs> I have conversations with God like that because that's what prayer is. It's a conversation, man. And so I really was like, well, I need somebody to talk to me. He's like, no, but I want you to go do that. So I started to do that. I started to, you know, go to these different organizations and speaking and doing all these things. And what happened within my time doing that, even though I was going through my own struggles, what happened is, is that hearing other people's stories and hearing their struggles and also as well and hearing their testimonies and then them hearing my testimony and then people that were going through something I went through maybe a year or two before and they're seeing how I got breakthrough through it through prayer. You know how they say it's a blessing to be a blessing. It was such a beautiful moment within me saying, okay, even though I'm going through pressure to also say God's going to get me through this. And that's the beautiful thing about it is that that I want people to understand is that when you say um, when you're going through something, your mouth is the important part and the negative, the talk, your personal talk that you do to yourself is very important as well. So even though you're going through something and you're going through a struggle, you got to look at the blessing and the breakthrough that's up ahead. And you got to focus on the one that can get you through it. And so uh, I had to learn that over and over again and just trust in him. It was a, a very big trusting process. And when I started to do that, amazing things started to happen, like amazing Jobs started open. People that I was meeting, I met my beautiful wife, who I, you know, am with now. Wow. My best friend. Uh, she's my best friend. Uh, I love her so much, and it's 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 like. And it comes from building that consistency. It's coming from building that it's that consistency. You know, you have habitual sin, but then when you also have a habit of being righteous, 
is so important. I mean, I talk about it in Ephesians over and over again, you know, of living a righteous lifestyle. You know what I mean? And it's so important to make sure that we're doing that over and over again. And I know this is long, but I'm going to get to the preaching, <laughs> preaching part of it all. I love it. That's, a, that's, why, that's what this show's all about. I bring people on here to talk about this. But I actually have a question for you because I want to get into some of the substance. So I have this long running theory about kids TV in the 90s, and I want to run it by you. Okay. Okay. So you watch kids, like I grew up in the 90s, like that's my jam. Yeah, man. So you watch it, and it's really easy to get fooled by like the grossness and the slime and that kind of thing. But if you can see past that, it's actually pretty insane to me how serious 90s kids TV was. Like, like a show, take a show like all that. So first of all, the idea that <laughs> the idea that kids would appreciate sketch comedy is like crazy ambitious in and of itself. Like that's already insane. But then you take the content, right? Like, yes, like you have sketches like Good Burger where the joke for your character is like, you just have to go to the bathroom. No one will let you. Right. But then you have Ear Boy and Pizza Face where like I kid you not. I remember going back because I actually <laughs> before this interview, I thought to myself, like, there's no way I'm remembering this correctly. So I went back and watched them. You have Katrina Johnson, like a little kid doing like Ross Perot impressions. <laughs> On a kid's show and nailing it, by the way, like doing it better than anything that was on SNL at the time. Like that would never happen today. Right. So was 90s TV for kids more serious than people realize? Like as someone who was on the inside of it, what do you think? Yeah, you know what? I, I, I just feel like I don't know if it's more serious. It's just that we were literally taking on all the same things that in Living Color and Saturday Night Live were doing at the time, but yeah. showing a kid's perspective of it, which is so such a beautiful thing that our writers and uh, our producers uh, allowed us to do that. I mean, look, all that was only supposed to be a special because they had never done anything like this. Like you're talking about before Nickelodeon, it was like Clarissa explains. I mean, before all that, it was like Clarissa explains it all. And, you know, you can't do that on television. Nothing as uh, edgy for, you know, kid edgy uh, as all that was. And when they focus tested all that, like I remember reading when they focus grouped it, they were like, this will never work. Like it was, will never work. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so Brian and uh, Mike Tolan, Brian Robbins, you know, they, they did this thing and it came out and it killed and the ratings were through the roof. And I remember we all went back home because we're all from, you know, all, all over the world, you know. And so we all went back home and they hit us up like, yo, come back. We're the, they love it. We're going to pick it up. It's going to be a show. Uh, and it's awesome, man. Changed everybody's lives. And, I, and, and it's cool because we're even coming up on the 25th anniversary of Good Burger, which is like uh, super awesome that people are still like loving this. It's timeless. My kids love it. Yeah, oh, bro. And, <laughs> I, and I really appreciate it. It's such a um, it's such a blessing, you know, within it. And it's also shows like like, you know, I've been in this business a long time and you you love it when you have a cast that just just works or a show that just works with the crew and the cast. It just works like a well oiled machine. And that's literally what all that was. It was just like, you know what I mean? In the Keenan and Kale show, uh, it, it reminds me of the, the wonderful shows like, you know, I love Lucy, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and Martin and all those shows that where you could just put it on now and watch it even years later, but these stories and, and this comedic timing still works. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy, so happy to be a part of something, you know, that lasts <laughs> the test of time. Yeah. And so I actually want to pick up on something you just said. So you read through the Bible and you see that it, it's pretty strange, like in the context of 
literature as a whole, right? Because while the Bible has heroes like every other tradition, what distinguishes the Bible from ancient Egyptian literature, from Greek literature, it doesn't wait till adulthood to identify heroism, right? Isaac, as a kid, goes willingly to be sacrificed at the binding of Isaac. Joseph, sold into Egypt, and he finds his faith there as a kid. Young King David finds courage where grown men can't, right? Now, contemporary society today doesn't really make room for childhood heroism, and in some cases for good reason, right? We try to shield kids from difficult choices, and you yourself, you were like you were talking about earlier, you've seen the underbelly of, like the nasty underbelly of childhood heroism. But what this sometimes results in, I think, is kids not understanding how to take life seriously until it's too late. And as someone who had the capability and the capacity to impact and influence so many people from a really young age. So do you ever feel like maybe you have an insight into these biblical characters that others might not have? Here's the thing. And and, and this is what I was getting to when I was, you know, um, when you asked me about the preaching and when, the why. And it's going to answer your question too. So here's the thing. Ever since I was a kid, it was spoken of of me that I would preach, right? And uh, I had my babysitter's grandmother tell me when I was like four or five years old, she would call me little preacher. Hey, little preacher. You know what I mean? <laughs> little pastor. And she would just say that. You know what I mean? And, and I never thought anything of it. I was a little kid. And then when I got a little older, I remember we had these prayer warriors that came to our church. And one of them said, bring that one up here. And she put <laughs> her hands over my eyes and she said, this one can see. Right. And I just pray over him, pray over his whole family. So my whole family was praying over me and my, I just started crying. This is way before television. I'm just crying and crying and crying. And I never forget that. Right. So then, you know, television, all these different things happen, all this different stuff in life. Right. And then I go through ups and downs of within my life uh, and I go through it. And then but then here's the beautiful beauty of it all is that after going through it all, going through ups and downs, seeing the side of everything. You know what I mean? Seeing arrogant kill, seeing stressed out kill, seeing substance abuse kill, seeing loving kill, seeing kindness kill, seeing the creative kill that you all see. When I see all those things and I realize that it was God that was giving that to me this entire time and also knowing that he was there with me in the ups and downs of it all, now I have a perspective that's so understanding for youth. You see what I'm saying? Because I stayed within family entertainment for so many years. And even after uh, I went through what I went through, I went, uh, I started working again within youth and in entertainment. And uh, I would work within my community with youth as well. Me and my wife, we did uh, an event in uh, California called uh, the Back House Party, where we put on these dance events. Well, some people listening will probably know, but uh, it was a, a movement called the Jerk Movement in the early 2000s, where kids <laughs> used to do these dances, right? And we saw them just, you know, having these competitions in neighborhoods and stuff. We we're like, they need a place to do it. So we did, we created a place for them to uh, dance and it was a competition show. So we did this competition show. I really treated it like how the shows that I was I was on. So we recorded it. Uh, they would get a prize at the end. But the beauty of it is that we would pray, which each kid, like we would pray in the beginning before they got started, right? And I'm still staying in contact with a lot of these kids now. They're adults now and have kids of their own and stuff. But what's so awesome about that is that being in kid entertainment and being with on a show and all doing all these different things, God had this set up from the beginning. And what I had to understand was that, oh, he did. Because now when people go, 
hey, I love Good Burger. And they're watching it with their family and they're watching it with their kids. And they love like Keenan and Kel and these shows. And then they look me up or they come to talk to me. And then they hear my stories about the things that I went through as a kid. Like, I'm not the type of youth pastor that sits there and just tell them jolly stories. You know what I mean? I tell it them gets how, real. Yeah, I tell them how to keep their joy, you know, while they're going through certain things because teens and kids go through so much. And when you're what you're talking about right now is that they go through a lot. And if we're not really sharing and sharing our testimony of like when we were teens and when we were kids, and then, you know, what we used to do, it's like, come on, man, don't, don't be like, oh, I forgot about all that. No, 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 no. And I feel like that's why your testimony is so, so important. There's so many things I want to ask. Oh, my God. All right, I got to choose one. Okay, wait. So <laughs> I want to back up. You said you talked earlier about, you know, growing up with faith. And I know you're from Chicago. So I actually asked this of Chris Herring. Chris Herring, friend of the pod. Shouts to Chris. Did an awesome episode with us. He wrote a great book in the 90s, Knicks. And when he came on here, uh, and he admittedly couldn't think of an answer to this question, so he punted. Uh, so I've been waiting for another Chicago guest to come on so I could ask. All right. So Chicago is really ground zero for the emergence of hip-hop that takes faith seriously, right? So Kanye, Chance, most famously, but there's also like BJ the Chicago Kid, Saba, Sir the Baptist, so on. What is it about Chicago, the culture? I don't like, what is it about your city that was fertile ground for that kind of music? Bro, uh, house music as well. You know what I mean? We was the yeah. Chicago, Chicago house music. We started all, <laughs> started all of that. The arts in Chicago and the creativity in Chicago is so vast, bro. It's so vast. And when you look at like culture and it, the way that we express it in Chicago, because I'm a I'm a hip hop head and I'm also a, a, a hip hop artist first. So uh, I started hip hop. I always say like it really helped me. Because when a lot of uh, my friends were, you know, doing, um, uh, you know, gang violence and things like that, I got into hip hop. I started breakdancing. And so with me breakdancing and, you know, being a B-boy uh, and doing that uh, really kind of took me away from, you know, going and, you know, doing gang violence and all this stuff like that, which was awesome. And I was a graffiti artist, too. I love art. I was into art and graffiti and all those different things. And I feel like you see so, it's like Chicago so diverse, like depending on where you drive and where you go, you see all these different cultures and everybody expressing themselves within that. And that's why hip hop is so dope, because when you hear the stories from it and, you know, from each neighborhood where we grew up and you hear the stories, it's so dope. Uh, and I've, I know Chance, I know Kanye, I've been in, you know, uh, Kanye's music videos and uh, Chances as well. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> I've, I've been in the city of Chicago for, for a long time and my sister uh, worked at a record store called Metro Music out there. And all the, you know, celebs used to come out there. And I remember Common came uh, one time and uh, he went to high school with my sister as well. And I remember I, I had a freestyle battle with him, <laughs> which was super cool. <laughs> uh, but one thing about hip hop, which is dope. I remember I did a six step 
on uh all that now that's just like a you know a, yeah you know a six step okay cool <laughs> all right so <laughs> i did a six eight six step you know look it look it up i'm a rabbi but i know stuff you know <laughs> <laughs> so so i did that uh for one of the bumpers on all that you might have seen it like me and then i swipe my leg while i'm break dancing and uh i met a kid in uh later years later and it was funny because Kanye was actually at this event. It was at the South Shore Country, uh, South Shore Country Club out in Chicago on the South Side. And I remember we were doing this Q&A and then we did autographs afterwards. Kid comes up to me and he goes, yo, you changed my life, bro. You did a six step on all that. And <laughs> I was into gangs and all this, but I saw you do that and I wanted to break dance. So I started to break dance and now I'm a choreographer. Like I'm wow. like, And I'm just like, you just never know how people are, you know, perceiving you when you just decide to be open and do these, you know, these things, you know what I mean? That, and you never know how you could change someone's life. And, and, uh, I'm all about bringing joy to, to each other. And I see those type of things, like even with us being creative and being on television, I see the love that's in it. And I think that's, what's so beautiful about being in the entertainment business. Once you find out like the love within it and, and the love that you have in your heart, you'll be okay. You know, uh, I told that to the kids when we brought all that back uh, in 2019, uh, and, you know, uh, uh, producing it. And, uh, I saw them all at the table read and I walked in and I told them something that I wish was told to me. Right. And, you know, now I'm like, you know, the Lord is, you know, head of my life and everything. So <laughs> I was like, Hey, I'm walking in here. Like, you know, some people would turn it off. Uh, but I don't turn the, the Lord off. You know what I mean? He's with me all the time, you know? And so I walked in and I told them something that I wanted them to hear. And I said, understand this, this show that you're about to film, because this is their first week. I said, the show that you're about to film, this thing, this show is not the thing that makes you special. You were special when you were born in the womb. You were special when God knitted you in the womb. So this is one part of your long journey in life, you're going to go from job to job, from step to step. You might not even want to act anymore. You might want to do something else, you know, create something else. But just understand that this is one moment of your life and you were made special when you were born and to know that and also that way so they enjoy it and enjoy the moment and not look at it in a thing of, oh, I'm a, you know, it's a competition. I got to be better than this person, better than this person. Just really enjoy the moment. And they really took that in. Uh, and I'm seeing them progress and be on other shows. Uh, and I even flew my parents out to speak to the parents because wow. I, I wanted that to happen because, you know, as actors, uh, when you come into this as a teen or even younger, a lot of, a lot of kids come into it, their parents are coming to it green too. And so they're trying to understand it as well. So I wanted my parents to give their perspective on this journey of life, having a kid that has this opportunity and has this happen to them. And bro, like parents were crying in there and tears and were thanking my parents. And, and, I, and I looked at this moment and I said, wow, God, you took it full circle. And that's what helped me really understand it, where it's just like, yeah, I'm going to have you go through some stuff. But as you go through some stuff, your testimony, because you held on to your faith, is going to help the next kid that's coming up. It's going to help the people that are watching. And I'm like, oh, God, I see you were giving me alley-oop the whole time. I see what's going I see, I see what's going on. Faith is often about like frontiers, right? Like finding new places where you can bring light. So we used to, and we many, in many ways still do think about this in like physical, geographical terms. So like 
you know, for example, like my own Orthodox Jewish community, so Chabad, which is like a group of Hasidic Jews who are amazing, they'll be like, oh, man, there's probably no kosher food in Sri Lanka, right? So let's open up a place there, a Chabad house there, where anyone who comes can get access to the food we need. And by the way, shouts to Chance the Rapper, member of a like a Hillel house on a campus. Or... In other traditions, right, it might be, hey, here's a town that doesn't have a church or it doesn't have a synagogue or doesn't have a, or whatever. Like, let's open up something here, right? It's very physical. It's very geographical. But today, those frontiers aren't just physical. They're also digital, right? So like Instagram, TikTok. I think the stereotype, and particularly by people of faith, actually, is, oh, those places are probably the worst. But if you actually spend time there... Is it possible that those places actually might be fertile ground for faith, for values, for tradition, for stuff like that? As someone who is involved with youth, how do you approach this kind of thing? So here's here's the thing with all of that, <laughs> you know, and because uh, a lot of people say that, you know, within the entertainment business, that's just the devil and <laughs> all these different <laughs> things, you know, and social media. And the thing about it is, is that I want to make sure that you don't see me, you don't see Kel, you, I want you to see the God that's in me within everything that I do. And so within doing that, I remember this would help you understand it. Like even when I got, uh, when I decided to take the call to preach, right? Because like I said, it kept being said to me multiple, multiple times. And I remember I was uh, at the balcony of my house, right? And I remember I was praying and God said very clearly to me, he said, yeah, I want you to do this. Now, while when he said this, mind you, I was had been in the church, working within Helps Ministry, uh, doing anything that, you know, my pastor needed at the church. I was also, I saw that they needed some type of help with the stage. And this is like a hometown church, not a big mega church. I was just there to help, you know, because I, I felt it uh, within my heart to do so. Uh, because I love the, the, the word of God that was spoken through my pastor. And so, uh, uh, and with his, his sermons. And so uh, I'm literally like, you know, working with an upstanding, being an usher sometimes. And then sometimes I'm stage manager. And this is all while I'm doing stand-up comedy, all while I'm doing, you know, writing, producing, all these different things <laughs> that I got back to doing. I was also, you know, making sure that I was doing this in the church. And I became a stage manager at a church doing that as well. Uh, but within doing that, right, I remember a time when I prayed and God spoke to me and said, yeah, I do want you to preach. But I also want you to stay in the entertainment business. I don't want you to, to leave the entertainment business. And as I elevate you within your career, I want you to continue to let people know of me. Don't leave me when this happens, right? And what I saw within that, I heard a, a sermon where someone said, God comes to believers and tell them something that he wants them to do. And then they don't, they don't do it. You know what I mean? When they don't do it within that time and someone else didn't do this, but I want you to do it. You know what I mean? And so I said, Heavenly Father, I, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'll make sure that I'll do it and I'm going to stick with doing it. And when I did that, it didn't become something easy. And I remember when it came out and everybody was like, yo, Kel's a pastor, but he's also still in the entertainment business. And when the blogs picked it up. You know, some people thought I did it for like, oh, he's going to do Good Burger Weddings or he's going to do like, you know, all this funny stuff. <laughs> and it's like, no, bro, this is really my life. This is really important to me. This is really a part of me. And what I started to see was, was that when I would go to these sets and I would go on set and I would film things, I would pray over the entire cast, but then also talk to the actors as well and speak to them. Not like I came in like, hey, this is about Jesus. Come on. But literally, <laughs> like, conversations would naturally just happen. 
praying for uh, cast members and people that I've known for years would happen, which was so beautiful, um, using my social media to really speak of God. Now, I've told this story in the podcast before, but I remember, and I mentioned him at the top of the episode, my teacher of blessed memory, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, he had this wonderful insight. And you could tell the stories took place a while ago because he's talking about Facebook as like the main thing, whereas, you know, nowadays it wouldn't be like, you know, be like Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Yeah. But I remember he once asked me, he's like, what do you think about Facebook? And I didn't know what he wanted me to answer. So I was like, I don't know. What do you think about Facebook? So, <laughs> so he goes, I believe that Facebook was created to spread the Torah, right? To spread great, you know, our, you know, Jewish values and the Bible and so on and so forth. And I remember thinking at the time, like, there's so many things you can do on Facebook that are not that, right? That are not like spreading good values, but really it's a question of how you think about it, right? Like it's a question of perspective. Like you can look at the same set of circumstances and you can see problems, you can see challenges and you can see incapacities, or you can look at them and see opportunities for goodness, for virtue, for f- human flourishing and so on and so forth. So, yes, I mean, I, it's, it's exactly, it's exactly, you're exactly right. Now I, so my last question for you is religion as a whole in the United States goes through this weird transformation right with the rise of like mass media entertainment. Like right as mass media entertainment gets invented, religion becomes this like thing associated with like old men wagging their fingers at people and saying like, no, 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 no. Whereas for thousands, like, you know, hundreds of years, thousands of years, and it had never been that. Like, Abraham was like punk rock. Abraham's like hip hop. Abraham's standing up to the dominant culture and subverting and saying, no, actually, human beings have equal and unlimited worth. You're created in the image of God. And what happens is that as entertainment, the entertainment industry grows, religion kind of like falters in a sense. And now, you're starting to see the reversal of this, I think, right? So like, you'll see people like Kendrick, like Kanye, like Chance, like Justin Bieber, who take it seriously, but in a but in a really healthy, positive, and some cases subversive way. So someone who's like lived that transformation, like, do you feel that? Do you feel that transformation happening? And what? how do you think about it? You, you gotta look at it like, thank God for um, social media actually, because we started to now, see uh, people's journeys in a different way. Before we couldn't, like when it was press or things like that. And- right, you said before, like you had no outlet. Like that's such a fascinating perspective on social media, which I'd never heard before. Yeah, because, okay, so look at it. Being a celebrity, right? Someone that's in press can say something about me in a newspaper. This is back in the day, if we're talking about early 90s. And you're helpless. Yeah, in the 90s, right? And all you could do is say, okay, well, I'm not gonna pay attention to that. But what if it does bother you? What if it does? Now, these days, you can go, hey, I know you all might have saw that, but you can put your phone up and you can record yourself and tell wow. your fans the realness and how you really feel and, and in the moment. You know what I mean? And that's what's so deep. And I think for fans and for people that are watching, it's like, oh, wow, this celebrity went through what I went through. Oh, this person really understands when they wrote this song, they wrote the song because of this reason and this, this reason. And that's what's so uh, amazing about it. That's why I think that we should all be more transparent. You know what I mean? And when I'm saying transparent, I'm saying like, look, take the Band-Aid off really show people the hurt, the pain, show them the triumph and how you got through it. 
that's what the word of God is. That's what the Bible shows us. You know what I mean? Every day is showing us these stories of triumph and testimony and believing in God and how faith works in our lives. And so we have to show that in a real way in the now as well. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we have to show them in the now and how it's happening because there's nothing new under the sun. It's all the same stories. It's just in a different way now. So just keep going. Those desires that God has given you in your heart, those stories, those amazing stories, those, the all that stuff that you want to do, create scripts, movies, all these different things, do it. It's not too crazy. Amen. <laughs> uh, Cal, you're amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, bro. Thank you, bro. <laughs> hey, so I, I know we're still recording, so I'll do something for your kids, man. <laughs> Whoa! Hey, what's up? Yeah, welcome to Good Burger, homie. The Good Burger. Can I take your order, Lamb family? Well, we'll check it out. Your dad already said all your guys' names, so I'm gonna get some Good Burgers for you guys. Well, yeah. <laughs> all right, sing along. I'm a dude. He's a dude. She's a dude. Cause we're all dudes. Hey, <laughs> Lamb family. I just love how Kel tells a story. Usually when you hear about a well-known person or a celebrity finding faith or reconnecting with tradition, it's all about that one moment of inspiration. And don't get me wrong, that can be a part of the journey as well. But for those moments to induce a fundamental transformation in a person is in some ways unsurprising. How could you fail to be overwhelmed in such circumstances? No, what's much more impressive to me is the person who's able to answer the question of, okay, now what? The person who can show up day after day, prayer after prayer, fulfilled obligation after fulfilled obligation, and do the work. To borrow a phrase, faith is a game of inches. Now, Pacino meant by that that the margin for error is small, but what I mean is that the way towards a life of virtue filled with community, tradition, and unchosen obligations is not through one powerful but fleeting moment of spiritual pyrotechnics, but rather it's about incremental progress, putting in the work, knowing both that it's crucial and never quite done, and ultimately, that it's always going to be deeply worthwhile. Anyway, this is Ari Lam making a good faith effort. I'll see you next time. Good Faith Effort was created and written by Ari Lam. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice, because it really helps others find the show. Our executive producer is Josh Cross. The show is produced and edited by Galad Brownstein. This is a Soul Shop podcast, presented by B'nai Zion. Follow us on Twitter at GFaithEffort. Follow Ari at Ari Lamb and sign up for our email list at soulshopstudios.com slash goodfaitheffort. For more information about Soul Shop, follow Soul Shop on Twitter at Soul Shop Studios and on Instagram at soulshop underscore studios. And check out soulshopstudios.com. Soul